Turning to the first book of Samuel, please. The first book of Samuel and chapter 7. And I want you to open your Bibles there and keep it open. And we'll be expounding some verses from this word of truth in a moment or two. First Samuel chapter 7, open at verse 1, please. According to E.W. Bollinger in his book, Numbers in the Bible, he states that the number 20 is associated with expectation. And if that is so, we're into the year 2020, and that's a double expectation. I don't know what you're expecting in 2020, but I trust that you have foresight and faith to be expecting some things in your Christian walk. Bullinger calculated this from the scriptures, first of all, in the life of Jacob. You know how Jacob served 20 years for his wife Rachel, plus the herds and the flocks and the stocks that he was entitled to after his labors. And Jacob labored diligently with the crooked and twisted Laban. And in the 20th year, he was set free. So the 20th year in relation to Jacob speaks of liberation and separation. Because he got out from that boy and got back to where he left, back to Bethel. And we need to get back to Bethel, to the house of God. Then Bollinger draws our attention regarding Samson. How in the 20th year he got his shoulders to the pillar of the temple, the Philistine temple, and cried unto God, Lord, one more time. And the power of God came upon him and he slew 3,000 Philistines. That was the year of Samson's vindication. You see, up until that, Samson's CV was not in great shape. He was hither and thither and up and down. But that very act on that 20th year vindicated him. Because we read in Hebrews 11 that he ends up in that great chapter of faith. And it may be that 2020 will be the year that you'll be liberated from something. Maybe the year you'll be separated from something. And it may be the year that you'll be vindicated because 
There are those in this little assembly, you know, and I know more than most of you know, but I know that those who have been wrongly dealt with, and you hold on because God will vindicate you very quickly. But those are not the twenties that we're after this morning. One of the other twenties, and there's more, and if you want to do a wee search of the scriptures, you'll find that you'll come across many of them, and they were days of expectation, liberation, separation. But we have more. We have one this morning that we're going to look at, and I want you to read with me chapter 7, some of these early verses, and you'll see what we're at as we go down to read. So we're at chapter 7 and verse 1, and we're reading down to verse 13. And the men of kerjath Jerem came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill, and sanctified Eliezer his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass that while the ark abode in kergath Jerem, that the time was long. Now note this now. The time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtoreth, Balaam was the male god and Ashtaroth was the female god that the worship the children of Israel had turned to idol worship and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, There we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines, now notice this, notice this now, the lords of the Philistines, those are the big boys, went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said unto Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb, just a wee lamb. Isn't that a lovely wee phrase? A sucking lamb. And that sucking lamb, let me tell you, changed the whole thing. And offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord, And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. 
And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came on to beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. That's a good text for a new year. Hitherto has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they came no more into the coast of Israel and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. God will bless to us the reading of his own precious word. So 20 speaks of expectation, liberation, separation, vindication. But here in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel 7, it speaks of restoration. And the title, Glenn, for my message this morning is The Year the Ark Came Back. The Year the Ark Came Back. Twenty years was a long time for the ark to be away. Twenty years since the Philistines took the ark in the days of Eli. And what barren and what awful and defeated years they were. From Shechem to Shiloh, from Dan to Bathsheba. The enemy claimed most of the land and bludgeoned the children of Israel into submission, paralyzing and demoralizing them. And it was written over them that great statement, Eichapot, the glory has departed. God had forsaken them because of the corrupt, sinful priesthood of Eli and his sons. The ark was taken. Now those of you who listen to preaching from this pulpit know very well that the ark of the covenant is one of the greatest types of our Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures. The gold rim speaks of his deity. The wooden box speaks of his humanity. The manna that was inside the ark that was carried through the wilderness speaks of his provision. Aaron's rod which was budded inside the ark speaks of his resurrection, coming to life again. And the law of Moses that contained inside the ark that they carried, the Levites carried on their shoulders, speaks of his protection. And for 20 years, the duration was long. Am I speaking to someone this morning or someone listening to me this morning and you're in your 20th year and you're not saved yet? That's a long time to be in your sin. And like Timothy from a child, some of you have known the Scriptures. The harvest has passed. The summer ended and you're not saved. And the year 2019 came and it's gone and you're not saved. A new decade has come and you're not saved. 
The Lord expected you to get saved, you know. You know that the devil has expectations for you, young man, young woman. The devil's expecting you in 220 to send you to hell. And the rich man that was feasting, I tell you, didn't think that in a minute he'd be into the flames of hell. You see, the devil has plans for you. It's a long time to be without Christ. Don't go without him another day. Seek him while ye may be found. To think of a Christless eternity in the flames of hell where you can never get out, my friend, is real. It's not only a long time for sinners, it's a long time for backsliders. It's a long time, the Scripture says. Maybe you're a backslider this morning, a drifter this morning, cold in heart this morning. This is not time that you came back. This is not time to bring back the ark. This is not time to bring back Christ into your life, into your home, into your family. This is not time to sing again, return, no holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. This is not time that you fled back to the feet of Christ. This is not time you fled back to the table and back to the prayer meeting, back to your home, back to your wife, back to your children. Wherever it may be that you have to come back, to come back and make this year a year of new beginnings. But not only do we see the duration here, I want you to look at verse 2, and that's why we want you to look at the Scriptures, because it's not what I say, it's what the Scripture says. I want you to look at verse 2, see what it says, because it's not only duration, there's lamentation here. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kergarjam, that the time was long, 20 years, and the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. It says, all the house of Israel. Lamented. They were all sick and tired of living the life in slavery. They were all sick and tired of being in, in submission to the uncircumcised Philistines. And that word all tells me that all of them were of the same mind. All of them lamented. And that word lament, my friend, was to groan in desperation. And whenever we get a group of people or a church of people united like this and groaning in desperation for Christ to come back, then we're moving places. These people are mourning an absent God. We heard about that yesterday mightily from this pulpit. Psychopath. Twenty years of it. They're mourning an absent God and crying for the restoration and return of his presence, of his power. Remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Blessed are they that mourn. And I'm sick listening to people at funerals using that for... My friend, that's not a funeral text. Happy are they that mourn. I tell you, Maureen's not happy today. Nor is Glenda. Nor will they be tomorrow. Blessed are they that mourn over their sin. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are they that mourn over the state that they're in. Blessed are they that mourn over the state of the church and the state of the people of God. Happy are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's when we look back in our own lives and look back over the year and and as Jeremiah said, see your way in the valley and see what we have done. It's when we become convicted and become ashamed and, and we become awakened to the fact that we are in need. The great tragedy and problem today is, my dear friends, is many Christians don't realize how dire the situation is. Many of God's people today don't realize in their own lives how, how, how much they need God and, and how much we need Him. There's no lamenting over past sins. There's no lamenting over the past year. There's going to be no change in many lives. There's going to be no resolving to God to change things. The ark is missing. And that's little or no concern to men. And Jesus said that would be the way it would be in the last days, the days of Laodicea. He says we're miserable and wretched and poor and blind and know not, know not. But we make him sick and he spews out of our mouth. You know, when I was thinking along these lines, this thoughts shot into me from scriptural thoughts. One of them that shot into my mind was Mary Magdalene in the morning of the resurrection. Oh, God bless her. God bless women that have a hunger after God. For many men don't. A great while before days and the the streets lined with Roman soldiers who were wicked and evil. And the great while before day picked her steps through the streets in the darkness and headed towards where the Savior was laying. And in tears she cried out, the word of God tells us, and the crazy have cried out, she says, where is he? They've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And then she says, tell me where he is and I'll carry him hence. She's only a wee slip of a woman. She says, if I can get a hold of him. And she's thinking about his dead body now. If I can get just a hold of Christ, I'll carry him away. Oh. She meant business for God, I'll tell you. 
will tell me where he is and I'll carry him away. I'll put my arm around him. Never thought of the Greeks that came up on the day of the crucifixion. And they came up and they made their way through the crowd. Dangerous thing to do that day. Because I'll tell you this, all the rest of his own people had forsook him and fled. They'd all gone. And a few Greeks, a few Gentiles come and they come up and say, Sir, where is he? Sir, we, we want to see Jesus. We don't want to see Lazarus. Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. We don't want to see miracles. We don't want to hear parables. We don't want to hear praise. We want to see him. Sirs, we, we want to see Jesus. I tell you, my friend, if we had that hunger and longing in our heart and in our souls, we'd be changed people. Remember Job? Job cried out. On the Job cried out and he said, Oh, that I might know. I might know where I might find. Remember the spouse in the Song of Solomon? She came through the streets of Jerusalem. Again, men and soldiers covered in sackcloth. Have you seen him? Him whom my soul loveth. I can't sleep. I want my love. Oh, I tell you, that's the sort of seeking we need today. Now, in the midst of this weeping and lamenting after the Lord, and that's what it says, doesn't it? It says that in verse 3, at the end of it, all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel, verse 3, look at Samuel the prophet, the man of God stood up, and in verse 3, he said to the men, Samuel spoke unto them, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods. You see, there's expectation, duration, lamentation, obligation. There's an obligation. Here's what he says. If you want him enough, It's not just enough to cry and weep and mourn, as we say. It's not just enough to mourn and weep and cry. Tears are cheap, you know. There has to be repentance. There has to be action needed, and I had this message prepared, as you would well know, long before yesterday. There's action needed. He's saying if you say that you want him and you're mourning for him and you're weeping for him and you're searching for him with all your hearts, then prove it. Prove it by what doing. Well, look at the end of verse 3. Then put away the strange gods and Asherah from among you and prepare your hearts. Real, true repentance is turning away from sin. An idolatry. 
You see, you can bluff with tears. And I've been bluffed with tears. I had a boy come to me one day years and years ago. He came to where I was living in Rich Hill. He knocked the door. He says, I want to get saved. I said, good man. Big businessman to get saved. And we study out the back and I brought him out. So down, talked about the things of God. Told him in the scriptures how to get saved. <laughs> and I knew very well before I went in what he was after. For I knew him <laughs> and he knew me too. And just when I was finished, he says, would there be any chance of me getting out of this? <laughs> he was heading for jail. He says, could you do anything for me? No, he says, I can't do anything for you. No, a different story. Tears didn't last long then. <laughs> he went away and he never, he never hardly said goodbye to him. You see, tears are cheap, my friend. We can lament and we can mourn and put on an outward thing. All there has, There's an obligation. What are we going to do? He says, you have to put away these the things. That, that's the word used. Put it away. Put them away. Come on. What have you to put away now? Come on. Before you start weeping and crying and lamenting, what are you going to put away? Are you prepared to put away things? Because if you want to hold on to them, you stop your weeping, stop your crying, stop your talking, stop your asking, for you'll not do business with God. I don't know what your idols might be. I don't know what you're holding and clinging to. And certainly it's not wood and stone or bale or asteroid. I'm sure it's, of course it's not. It could be money. Could be a hobby. Could be a relationship. Could be the old soaps that you're watching. Until we come to the place when we don't sing these hymns, my friend, but we believe them in the heart, when we can say to the Lord, Lord, take my life and let it be. And I mean that, Lord. Now, whatever you want. And day after day, we put all on the altar to the Lord. Here am I, Lord. And I have to laugh at these boys. Well, the Lord never called me yet. No, he has called you to surrender long ago. Jesus, I my cross have taken. That's a different thing. This is discipleship now coming to the cross. This is where the rich young ruler had to, he went back. He wouldn't pay the price. And Jesus didn't follow him either. Jesus, I my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee, destitute, <laughs> despised, <laughs> forsaken. <laughs> Destitute, despised, forsaken. That's big stuff. Thou alone. Thou alone. My all shall be. This is what you want, Samuel said. And get into, get into action. 
put them away. You see, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. That's why you can't go by tears or lamenting or what people say to you. Because away in the heart, that word, that word deceitful means to be, it means incurably polluted. Boy, we have an awful wicked heart. And I can smile and I can talk to you and I can say to you, you're a great fellow and that was lovely and all the rest of it. What goes on in our hearts? So that's why Samuel says we have to get past the tears now and past the mourning and past what's in your heart. He says there has to be, here's the next P, there has to be the next thing, the preparation. There has to be a preparation of heart in the middle of verse 3. Prepare your hearts unto the Lord. So there's an expectation and a duration and a lamentation and an obligation and a preparation. Now fasten your eyes on verse 3 as we come down to the end. Because in verse 3 it says down near the end of it, here's what he says, if you do all those things, if you're prepared to separate yourselves and put them things on the altar for God and say, Lord, whatever you want, here am I, here's what he has promised in verse 3. There's a promise. He will deliver you out of Now, do you think he's telling lies? Do you not think that Samuel knows how to handle this, this man of prayer, this man of God? Do you not know what he did the Holy Spirit? No, uh, through Samuel, he knows what's in the hearts of people. He says, if you want what you're talking about, and you're badly for the ark to come back, and you want the presence back, and you want the power back, then listen. Here's what you do. You do it, he says, he'll do his bit. He says, I will deliver you. Now, don't you argue with God now. Don't argue with him. I will deliver you. Let it be pornography. Let it be lust. Let it be greed. Whatever keeps you and me in bondage. Oh, I can't pray while you're in bondage. Oh, I can't pray while you're in bondage. Oh, I can't open my mouth for God. You're in bondage. He says, I will deliver you. That's a promise. And here's the proof in verse 4. Then the children of Israel would put away Balaam and asked him to serve the Lord only. There's the proof. The witness that putting it away, putting the things away, it was witnessed. That's the proof. Not what they said, not what they cried. That's the proof. You know, 
I was reading about the South Sea Island revival some time ago. And they didn't class the people in that revival to be saved until they had burnt every idol. And it was the same in the Reformation with Luther. You read the history of the Reformation with Luther and Swingley and Calvin and them men and how God mightily moved. Well, let me tell you, when Luther, Luther didn't claim them to be converted or saved until they burned the Virgin Mary, until they burned the idols and they burned all the trash, the, 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 the stuff of the church, they burned it all. That was the proof. That was the proof. It was the same in Ephesus. They burned all the books and all the stuff that they had that they shouldn't have had. The fire. And then look at verse 5. You have the promise in verse 3, the proof in verse 4. You have the prayer in verse 5. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel and I will pray for you unto the Lord. Samuel believed in the power of prayer. <laughs> he says, I'll pray for you. He believed. I, I am so did they because look, so, so did they. So look at verse 8. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to pray unto the Lord our God. For they believed in the power of prayer too. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Now here, watch verse 6. We'll come until an end. Verse 6. There's a pledge in verse 6. And you could miss this very handy. Now we're taking you down these steps now. They want the ark back. They want the power back. They want the presence back. They want the joy of the Lord in their midst. They want a revival, if you want to put it that way. They want a revival. And so we take some step by step. When they do their bit, God does his bit. But then verse 6, there's, there's a pledge. And they gathered together and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. Well, what does that speak to us about? Well, there's one thing. If you get a bucket of water and pour it out on that tarmac, there's one certain thing. You're not going to lift it again. And that's what it says that we're in, the, in other scriptures were like water spilled upon the ground that can never be gathered up again. Speaking about death. And when they took this water and they poured it out onto the ground, they say, that's the end of that. Not in all your life will you ever get that back into that bucket again. That's the end of that. I just completely, now we're completely finished. We're completely done. It's all over. There's no going back. I was reminded the other night about Elisha. <laughs> Remember, Elijah passed by. God says, there's a man, he's going to follow in your footsteps. And his name is Elijah. You, you, you go and take the cloak and just wrap it around him. And, and, and Elijah went to Elisha and he was plowing with the twelfth yoke of oxen. The twelve yokes of oxen. They were very, very rich farmers. When you look at, you get a boy with twelve John Deere's, he's, whether he has money or not, he has tractors on him. Twelve yoke of oxen. 
And the one he would be as the son of the farmer or the owner maybe, uh, or the son of the farmer, he, w- he would have had the best one. I'd say he, he had the good one. Elijah didn't stop and have a conversation with him. He swung the thing around him and passed on. What did he do with the yoke of oxen? He boiled it. He killed it. And he boiled it. I'll tell you, there was no putting harness on that boy again. There was no putting a plow behind that boy again. He boiled it. At the end of that boy. And then he took the plow, the old plow. What did he, he burned it? He didn't say, I'll put this over in the shed now to see will this work out. And if it doesn't work out, I can go back to it again. Oh. He says, I'll, 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 I'll put the old ox here. I'll give them to my father. I'll give them to my brother. And he'll keep them. And if I want to come back, I'll harness them again. I'll, no, no. No coming back. Burned it. He boiled it. He says, it's over. It's finished. Let the land go. I don't know how many acres he had. And what's more, he burned the ox. He boiled the ox. He burned the plough. And he bid goodbye to his parents. And he stepped out for God. a pledge are you going to make that pledge for God wherever you are out there this morning whoever you are that's listening to me this morning don't talk or sing about serving God don't shuffle in and out of meetings do you mean business for God or do you not Have you a young life? It'll soon be past. And only what's done for Jesus will last. And when I am dying, how glad I will be. I, my lover, a life was blazed out for thee. If I had a thousand lives this morning and I was 20 years of age again, I'd put them all at his feet. The pledge... Then look at verse 7. <laughs> we haven't time for this. And when the Philistines heard this, aye, <laughs> the enemy heard this. <laughs> no trouble with the enemy up until now. No, no. When the Philistines heard that, and the chief of the Philistines, the devil himself will be after you, let me say. Don't you think that this is an easy run? Don't you think for a moment this is sitting up on a big mansion, a big salary, and a big car, and continental holidays in the golf course every Monday? <laughs> You're deluded if that's what you think. And there must be a lot of them deluded. Hear the word of the Lord now this morning. The Philistines are on your trail. 
The Philistines are after the moment that all was surrendered, all was on the altar, all was boiled, all was burned, all was said goodbye to, then comes the death of it. Ah, but I'm glad it doesn't end there. Because you not only have the pledge and the Philistines, you have the power. Look at 9 and 10. And Samuel took a sucking lab. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's power in the blood, you know. <laughs> he took a sucking lamb, a wee lamb. Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Listen, there's power in the blood. How did they overcome him in Revelation? They overcame him with the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb. Hallelujah. And they overcame And I tell you, when that sacrifice, when that knife went into that wee lamb, and that blood was shed and laid upon the altar, and I'll tell you, them, they gathered together, I tell you, the Philistines, the demons and devils and all leaders fled. And they pursued them till they destroyed them. And they brought the ark back. Costly to bring the ark back, you know. Oh, I'll tell you, it's costly. Costly. Cost him a lot. Cost him everything. Cost him to be stripped naked and crowned with thorns and battered and spat on at Calvary's cross. Cost him, my friend. To bring salvation to us this morning. And whatever cost it costs you or me, it's absolutely nothing. People say to me, often say to me, you left, I left nothing. Absolutely nothing. I gained everything. Oh, could I... Some of us old ones are past it now, but oh, if I could appeal to some of you younger men and women, get down before your knees, on your knees when you go home and say, Lord, take it all. Take the old business and take the car and take it all. And take my life and let it be. Consecrate the Lord to thee. And then he'll come. And then he'll bless you and then he'll show you. And as long as you keep near to the cross, that's all you have to do. Bring the ark back. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank you this morning for your word and We thank you, Lord, for the power of the Word of God in our souls. We thank you, Lord, that you still speak to men and women. We pray, Lord, that you'll speak on to us. Pray, Lord, that there'll be obedience to the Word that we heard yesterday and today. That we will go through with God our vows to pay. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord, for your precious Word. 
Praise you, Lord, for the lovely Lord who gave all for us. Give everything that he had and all that he was. Oh, we thank you this morning. How can I but love him? How can I but serve him? How can I but give him my all? I do, Lord, give you all this morning. And ask, Lord, that you'll bless this word and bless this people for Jesus' sake.